Good morning. It's a beautiful day today. The Lord's mercies are again new every morning. I guess what has been on my heart is uh, something, as you all know, um, our trials that we've been going through as a family. Um, just trying to understand, trying to understand what the Lord is trying to teach us because I am a person that believes there are no coincidences in our life as a Christian. I think everything has a, a reason. Everything that we're going through, uh, there is something that God is trying to show us and I want to know what, what it is. And I think one of the things, a lot of times, with the things that we are going through, that what he's trying to do is he is trying to, uh, to break us. Uh, whatever it is in our life that needs to be broken more, maybe it's pride or arrogance or depending too much on our own strength and our own wisdom. So... The message that I want to bring today is I want to speak a little bit on brokenness and uh, the value of it in our life and uh, what God is trying to accomplish through it. It's an extensive subject. <coughs> There's a lot to say about brokenness. Um, and before we do, before we begin, let's uh, pause again for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we just want to bow before you again as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King, our Father and our friend. Lord, may you help us to see what you are trying to do in our lives, Father, and may we yield to whatever it is, Father, that you have for us. May you give us wisdom to know and to understand what you are trying to achieve, Father. May our hearts not be hard, Lord Jesus, but may we daily seek to know, Father, your workings and what you are trying to show us through the things that we are going through. Lord Jesus, we just ask for thy presence, thy help, Lord. We just ask, Father, that you will continue to work. We pray that you will not give up on us, and we know you never will, Father. You continuously pursue us. You continuously are trying to show us more of yourself, trying to show us more of thy truth and thy ways and what you desire of us. We know you have given us a free will to choose, Father, whether we accept whatever you have for us or whether we reject it. But Lord, we just pray, continue, Father, your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's, uh, <sighs> I was just thinking, when we pray, I don't know if any of us have ever prayed that prayer, Lord, break me. I think if we actually pray that prayer, we have to accept what, what the Lord is going to do in our lives. It's a very, very serious prayer, and we have to be we have to accept from the Lord what he, what he will then do to us. Lord, break me. I don't think it's a prayer that we should pray lightly. We should count the cost before we pray it and understand and know what it means, what it will mean. Because we might not like what we have to go through in order for us to be broken. So I want to begin with a, uh, just a lesson from a former school teacher. She says here, I remember being a child and having a slight obsession with needing my crayons to look perfect. Yes, I used them and I knew that they wouldn't all be the same length after using them, but I didn't like them broken. If I accidentally broke a crayon, I didn't want to put it back in the crayon box. Because in my then four-year-old mind, broken, brokenness equaled unusable. 
But when I started grade school, I encountered countless teachers that had small bins filled with broken and perfect looking crayons, all mixed together for students to use. The preferred crayons, of course, were the non-broken ones, and sometimes arguments would break out amongst the stu us students. The teacher would usually take the time to show us and explain that the crayon, broken or not, colored the same. Over time, I unlearned what I thought as a child and now as an educator. I see this in my own classroom, the preference for perfection in crayon form, and how some students would, go, would even go as far as crying if they had to use the broken ones. Now, being in the position to do what my teachers did, I take the time to show them and explain that the crayon, broken or not, colored the same. And uh, I've, we've run into that before, I'm sure. When you hand out like candy or lollipops to a child and they find out their lollipop is broken, there are some problems. They don't want to accept it. They want one that's not broken. But we all at some point have been broken, some more than others. Trials and unexpected tribulations have worn us out, leaving us feeling depleted with nothing left to give sometimes. And that subconscious childlike thought can creep up again, making us feel useless and unworthy. But it seems that in all of those times, God meets us in that dark, broken place, and he patiently speaks worth into us, building us over again. But we have to realize there's a value in brokenness. That there are some things God can only do in us when we are broken. Because when we are broken, we are open and more willing to listen to God. God uses this moment to reveal defects in our character that would otherwise be difficult to see. And because we are willing to see those flaws, we are now able to ask God to help us to have victory over these things. Psalms 34, 17 says, 17 to 19, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save it such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. It's wonderful. It's our wonderful things to know and to understand that the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save it such as be of a contrite spirit. And then that verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered him out of them all. So most people don't like broken things. We prefer things that are whole. That's why most people don't go out and buy things that are broken, generally. We feel that when something breaks and we can't fix it, it has lost its value and is only good for parts or the dumpster. Generally, when you buy something online and you receive it and find that it's broken, you send it right back again to the company. And it's safe to say that most people don't relish the thought of being broken themselves. But experiences that break us are not pleasant, but painful, hurtful, and frustrating. We often wish these situations would just go away, that we wouldn't have to go through these things. But the question is, can we avoid being broken as disciples of Christ? Is this something only for a few people to go through, that, ha that have to go through it? It's a good question. Is this something only for a few chosen people, while all the rest of us can live a life of ease 
free from brokenness. It's important to know the answers. And there's a lot that God has to say in his word about this to provide us with the answers. So number one, the, the thing that we see around us is that all creation groans. The text for this is found in Romans 8, verses 18 to 21. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So as you think about these verses, it specifically says that creation was subjected to futility. It is not, creation is not something that God created that goes from from um, not being broken to something that's, that's, uh, that's better or that, that's, that's healing. No, it's going the opposite direction. It's, uh, it's sub it was subjected to futility. It is, it is decaying, you could say. It is in the process of getting old and older. And this was not something creation willingly volunteered for. So who was responsible for this? Of course, God was. Paul said it because of, Paul said it was because of him who subjected it. But why was this utility necessary anyway? It's because I think we all realize that creation itself is in slavery to corruption. It is in the process of getting old and dying. And one day, on that final day when the trumpet sounds, in Revelations 21, 1 to 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is what's coming, a new heaven and a new earth that will be free from decay and getting old. And we can see it. There's always this process <coughs> of something getting old, dying, and then it's gone. But we ourselves also groan, like the creation. And to be certain that we don't think that this is all just a non-human um, creation like the earth, the environment that we see around us, Paul goes on to say this, Romans 8:23 and not only this but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body and this is indeed a a sobering question do we actually I know we groan I know that but do we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons from the for the release from this for the redemption of our body paul leaves no question at all about the fact that we disciples of christ are going to go through this same process he uses repetition to emphasize this he says but also we ourselves even we ourselves as with the creation god has subjected us to some frustrating experiences, and this is not willingly. It isn't willingly, the things that he subjected us to. This process 
causes us to groan within ourselves a lot of times. Usually this word groaning is used of the sounds made by dying men. But isn't that what we are? We are going through a dying process. And uh, you can see that as the years go by, we're not getting younger. We're getting older, our hair is turning from turning to gray and white. And uh, we're just getting older. And as much as science or people are trying to, to change that, it seems they haven't been able to change that anyway. I recently listened to a podcast of uh, someone looked into what Jeff Bezos and these other people are trying to, trying to find a gene from a shark and a, uh, that, or a turtle that's living over 400 years and trying to figure out how they could live forever. And it's just, uh, what came out in the end is, what would we do if we lived forever? We'd be pretty bored if we could live forever here. It's just a wrong approach. It is that, yes, indeed, we are going through this process of brokenness and of, the, of, of dying, but it is something that God has created and that one day it'll be, it'll be done. There will not be any, any more uh, dying or decaying, if you can imagine that. It's just going to be perfect forever. So this process of brokenness, it's not easy for us. It's painful. Yet it seems like it is one of the only ways to experience the glorious freedom God intends for his children. And you may ask how born-again believers could still be in slavery to corruption when the scriptures teach us that we are no longer slaves to sin. When we come to Christ, he does set us free from slavery to sin, no doubt about it. But the process is both instant and progressive. We experience something right away that is real, it's powerful and it's life-changing, but then the process we experience afterward involves a further being set free from slavery. We're still waiting for something that hasn't happened yet. It's the redemption of our body. We haven't seen this take place yet, so we're still waiting for it. And until it does, we go through these frustrating experiences that cause us to groan. Romans 8, 24 and 25, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So the Lord has some wonderful things in store for us as his children. But it takes perseverance on our part, and it requires that we wait eagerly for it to happen. And uh, I want to look at a few examples of brokenness in the Bible now. The first one is a very, very familiar story. It's found in Mark 14, verses 3 to 9. It says, And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She, could have, she, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, 
What she has done will be told in memory of her. So there was this woman, who was obviously a sinner, who came to Jesus with an alabaster box or vial full of very expensive perfume. And uh, I think we have figured out that it was a whole year's worth of wages. Have you can imagine working for a whole year and then buying something? And then she broke the box or flask and poured the perfume on Jesus' head and feet out of love for him. When she did this, the fragrance filled the room. Um, actually, I thought it was in here, uh, in, but I think it's in a different gospel, that the fragrance filled the room. But some of the disciples were indignant and complained about this, saying it was a waste of good perfume. They only saw the money that could have been made by selling the unbroken box of perfume, saying that the money from the sale of the perfume could have been given to the poor. Jesus responded, saying that his disciples would always have the poor with them, and they could do good to the poor any time, but they would not always have him among them. He said that what she did was good, and she was actually anointing his body beforehand for the burial. This is a great illustration of brokenness, isn't it? This woman literally broke a box of perfume that was worth a lot to her so that she could bless the Lord and minister to him. If she had not broken the jar, the lovely fragrance would not have come forth. Others could only see the value of the box while it was whole. But Jesus saw the value of it when it was broken. And that's the way with our lives too. There's a quote here. Many can only see how they could be valuable if they were whole. But the Lord appreciates the love and beautiful fragrance that flows from our lives when we are going through the process of being broken. And I guess you all know what we're going through. My wife. We want to be whole. I have to tell you. I mean. We pray for it every day. That the Lord would heal my wife. We want wholeness. But it really struck me. Many can only see how it could be valuable if they were whole. But the Lord appreciates the love and beautiful fragrance that flows from our lives when we are going through the process of being broken. You can see that a lot with other people that you run into. You see they've gone through a lot. They're sitting on a wheelchair. There's something wrong with them physically. But when you look at them and you see they're still joyful in the Lord, it encourages you to see that even through this brokenness, as hard as it is, they still have a joy in the Lord. A beautiful fragrance comes forth from that broken person that is being sensed by others. And through that, we are encouraged to bear up under our own trials. And it seems like <clears throat> a lot of times those people's lives speak a lot louder than those who are whole. They, uh, they just encourage us. In John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So you can take a seed of wheat and place it in a jar where nothing can disturb it and leave it in a dark, dry place and it will stay there for thousands of years undisturbed. I found this article that said, seven date palm trees have been grown from 2,000-year-old seeds that were found in the Judean desert near Jerusalem. The seeds, the oldest ever germinated, were among hundreds discovered in caves and in an ancient palace built by King Herod the Great in the first century BC. So they can find seeds that have been stored or that are in dark, cool places or dry places. They can take them out and they can, they can plant them and they grow. But the thing is, the question is, if you take that seed and you just put it there, what good is it? It's a centerpiece, and it's no—it's no use to anybody. What good are those seeds if they just sit there in the dark? They're just basically useless to anyone. In order for any seed to bear fruit, it has to go down beneath the clods of the earth, into that dark place, and die. Its hard outer shell has to crack open so that the life that God has placed within it can come forth and break through the soil to bear fruit. That's the way with our lives are. That's the way our lives are too. Watchman Nee wrote, the Lord longs to find a way to bless the world through those who belong to him. Brokenness is the way of blessing, the way of fragrance, the way of fruitfulness. Are you willing to be broken so that the fragrance and fruitfulness may come forth? Out of one seed that gets sown into the ground can come a harvest of a hundredfold. And if you've ever watched a time lapse of a seed growing on a video somewhere, if you watch what happens to the seed as it's in the earth, it gets watered and then it breaks open and the, uh, the root goes down and the stem comes up. And then you watch what happens to that seed. What happens to it? Have you ever noticed? The, I, I would say, I think they're called cotyledons. They come out and they become food for the plant itself. And eventually they shrivel up and they fall off and that seed totally disappears. It just disappears and then through all of that process, that fruit appears. So the plant or the seed dies and it actually becomes the first food for that fruit that will, or the, for the plant itself. It's a beautiful illustration. It kind of reminds me of, of Stephen the first martyr and what he went through. But going on to a, another person that I'm reminded of, the examples of process of brokenness in the Bible, one of the best examples I think there are in the Bible is just a man, Moses. He reminds me a lot of how people generally are. Here we have this man, not a weak man by any means, in Acts 7, verses 22 to 25, it says of him, Moses learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians and became a great man, both in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, that's a long time to be in a school, 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Oh dear. A great and strong man. 
strong of mind and obviously strong of body if you can kill someone with your hands. But here's the catch. God could not and would not use this Moses. Can you imagine this Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt? Can you imagine if, this, if somehow they would have believed him and he led these people out? It would have been a disaster. I mean, it was, I mean, no one, only two of, two of the two million or three million that left made it into Canaan land, but I don't think they would have gotten very far. But we all know the rest of the story, how he fled the 40 years in the wilderness to make him into a much more effective man. A seed that died and was buried in that wilderness to the point where he said, And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? After those 40 years in the wilderness, and then he spends another 40 in the wilderness for more breaking. We know he still made mistakes, but you can see from the way that he handled situations with Aaron and Miriam and with uh, Korah and Dathan and Abiram, you can see from those situations that he was broken and not relying on his own strength and wisdom to solve them. You could see from those situations what happened when they happened. He went and he fell down at the uh, tabernacle and he, he cried out to the Lord. And he was still a strong man. He was still a very strong man physically. It says actually of Moses that his physical strength never diminished. He was still, he could still handle anyone physically. You can learn a lot from the life of Moses. I think 80 years in a wilderness will do a lot for us as well. But the key is, are we yielding under the lessons that God is trying to teach us? King David also went through many experiences that brought about brokenness in him as well. Some of these breaking experiences were the result of his own sin. Like when he sinned with Bathsheba, afterward there were consequences to live with. For one thing, the baby passed away after it was born. Other breaking experiences were the result of things other people did to him. For example, since Saul sought to kill David, he lived as a refugee on the run for many years. And later on, after he became king, his own son Absalom took the throne. David prayed in Psalms 31:12. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind, I am like a broken vessel. Yet David responded well to it. When Nathan the prophet pointed out his sin with Bathsheba to him, he repented before God. He felt like God had broken his bones when he prayed, Make me to hear joy and gladness, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. He knew that God was pleased with a broken Hard when he prayed in Psalms 51 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. His character grew through the breaking process because he yielded under it. And he continued to follow the Lord all the days of his life. We know David as one of the greatest kings of all time. And that's the key. When a prophet Nathan pointed out a sin, he was immediately broken. He was repentant. Even though he fell, he did not try to say, well, he didn't try to justify his actions. He knew what he had done. He repented and he wept. Another example that I like to look at of brokenness is the disciple Peter. Is the example of a man going through the process of brokenness. 
We all know how he was when Christ called him. I picture him as a no-nonsense, hard man. I picture him as one of the disciples who told the women and children that Christ does not have any time for them. He has way more important things to do than spend time with children and with women. That's the kind of person I see him. He was, he was you could say, gung-ho. He was prepared to take back Israel. And Jesus was going to lead the way. But the Peter that we see later, after the, after the crucifixion and after the, uh, after the, uh, the upper room experience where they were filled with the Holy Spirit, is a totally different Peter. It showed that his pride and his, his, his uh, depending on his own strength were gone. And from there, the Lord mightily used him. But what always comes out is the patience, the patient way that God broke him. In just allowing him to make mistake after mistake and teaching him from these things. And just speaking truth into his life. That victory does not come from your own strength. It comes in a different way. In yielding. In being a channel that God can use. And now I want to go to a, a, uh, to the animal kingdom, you could say. And those that have worked with horses here, I think you will agree with this next statement. An unbroken horse is a useless horse. I actually found this article that I'd like to read. It's not very long, but it's just an article that people have written on it's not spiritual. It's just an article on an un unbroken horses. And I felt that there are a lot of types and traits that we can attribute to ourselves, even though we're not a horse. But I'd like to read it. It says, the term broke refers to a horse that is considered safe to ride and has all his basic manners. A broke horse should be fairly well-trained and responsive to the rider. This is a horse that a rider with some experience should be able to get on and ride relatively easily and safely, depending on the horse's temperament and personality. Breaking a horse is the practice of training him to be ridden. This process is also referred to as saddle breaking. It involves teaching the young horse to accept a saddle, a bridle, and the weight of the rider on his back. It invo also involves teaching a young horse how to steer, stop, and respond to cues on command when they are given using the reins, legs, and seat. I just said, wow. It's not done yet, but I want to comment on that. It says, it involves teaching a young horse to accept a saddle, a bridle, and the weight of the rider on, on his back. So basically, I felt that, that could, you could attribute that to accept a cross, a bridle would be the Lord's leading and guidance and the weight of a rider on his back. Teaching a young horse how to steer, stop, and respond to cues on command when they are given using the reins, the legs, and the seat. Unbroken horse. A horse that is labeled unbroken or not broke has not been ridden before and is not considered to be rideable. These horses are often either too young to break or horses that no one ever got around to training. An adult horse that is not broke has relatively little value and is considered undesirable by most horse owners. An unbroken horse is never a good horse for a beginner or novice rider, obviously. But I also felt that, wow, it, yeah, that makes sense. An adult horse that is not broke has relatively little value and is considered undesirable by most horse owners, obviously. 
because usually an adult horse is so set in their ways it takes such a long time to uh, to change their their mannerisms and their habits it's not it's not undo um, I, I mean impossible by any means but it just takes a lot more time a lot more lessons then we have a term called green broke a horse that is described as being green broke is only partially trained and may or may not be safe to ride green broke horses need experienced riders and may have bad habits or simply not understand what they are supposed to do when under saddle the definition of green broke is somewhat subjective depending on the person who is labeling the horse some people define a green horse as any horse that has not completely finished upper level show training while others define a green horse as one that does not buck or fight when you sit on them it is best to deal with green broke horses cautiously go slowly when working with and riding a green horse so that you will know what areas of his training have been completed and which still need work when to break a horse most breeds of horses are broken to ride when they are between two and three years old it is important to wait until this age because the joints need to develop enough to support the weight of the rider Horses that are broken too early can wind up having joint problems and soundness issues as they age. Prior to being trained to accept the saddle and rider, the young horse needs to be taught to accept a halter and should lead, stand tied, and allow himself to be groomed and touched all over. Then we have dangerous horses as the last one. A horse that has never trained properly or that has learned bad habits during the breaking process may be very dangerous. Dangerous behavior such as bolting, bucking, and rearing can be a reason that some horses are considered unbroken even if they do have some saddle training. Horses that have been partially trained and developed dangerous vices should only be dealt with by an experienced horse trainer. In some cases, the risks involved with trying to break a horse of dangerous behaviors are considered too great or insurmountable by the person responsible for training the horse, and the horse is never fully broken. So I just felt that, wow, it could attribute a lot of that to us and to our lives as Christians. And yeah, um, I read around a little bit also on the Mustangs that are running around out in the, the West. And you look at them, they're galloping around, the wind is flying through their hair, they're free, but you know what? They're just useless. They're just a lawn ornament. You like to look at them. But to most ranchers out there, they're a big nuisance. And uh, if you would take those and just put them on a plow, you wouldn't get anywhere. And I've also heard that you can actually break a horse's spirit by overworking or abusing them. can definitely do that as well but I remember uh, going to these Minnesota machés and I remember one of them very distinctly um, they had actually set up an arena a horse corral in uh, Rochester there in the in the uh, at the mache and this guy Lou Starrett he has some good lessons by the way have you ever on training horses, he incorporates Christian values and, uh, and while he's training the horse. But he got in there with an untrained horse and he spoke on how this horse is responding to him and uh, he basically, a horse that had never been ridden, by the time he had started, by the time it was over, about a half an hour later, he was sitting on that horse and it did not buck and he did everything so patiently but firmly and uh, just carefully getting that horse uh, to do whatever he wanted he did not just do what the old cowboys used to do get on that horse and just break him like just break this thing 
I'm gonna I'm gonna show you who's boss. That's how they used to do it. I mean, these tough cowboys. No, he had a totally different way. And I, I just, I hope. I mean, I don't hope. I know this is how God, how God, he, he teaches us some hard lessons. But he is patient with us. He will repeat lessons, like any horse trainer will, if we don't learn them. But that's good, otherwise we don't learn. It's the same way in school. You have to teach until they get it. But the key is, at that time when you watch those horses, they want one thing. They want to get out of there. We want out. Some believers who experience the breaking process run from it. They walk away and go looking in the world for comfort. But the world can't satisfy them. It never will. Others go looking for spiritual leaders who will tell them what they want to hear. It's like the prophet Jeremiah said of the false prophets who were greedy for gain. In uh, Jeremiah 6.14 it says, They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying peace, peace, when, but there is no peace. People like to hear a peaceful message. And many will gather to hear a leader who speaks that way. But it's only superficial help that feels good for the moment. It doesn't address the deeper issues that God wants to deal with. So we can do that as well. We can just run. Keep on running. I just yesterday listened to a testimony from Art Katz, for those that know him, his testimony. I actually never listened to it. And he was a person that was just running. Running through life, trying to, to find truth. And he basically ended up becoming an atheist. He was a Jew. He ended up, he went through school, a Jewish school. His, mo his mother had him go through that school, but he totally, um, he said it was, it, it didn't faze him. It was, uh, he could just zone out and he felt there was no uh, there was nothing there that helped him he ended up turning into a Marxist and uh, reading the readings of Nietzsche and all of these different types of people that was his, his food he was a very intellectual person he kept on he actually at one point dropped everything he was doing he was a teacher a professor he, he put on a backpack, he flew to Europe or the Middle East, and he started walking, trying to find truth. And he said, you know what, he was just mad, he was angry. And he ended up just walking down these roads and people picked him up. He said, this, this Christian picked him up in a, well he didn't know he was a Christian, but he picked him up, it was raining. He, he threw his, he just came out of the car and greeted him and threw his wet, soggy backpack in the back of his car and had him sit in. He was just, he was shocked that a person would do that with a new car. It just impressed him. And he enjoyed picking apart Christians and just um, taking them apart. And he was, he was, of course, he had been to, um, he had been to, uh, I think, Buchenwald, he said, where he had just he became angry there. What happened with the Jews, he became angry at God, and that didn't help his situation. And he was just wrestling with these questions, what life is all about, and he asked this, he asked this man in the car this question, what... What does the world need? I mean, this, this question of what is going to fix the world, basically. He, he said he was always ready for a fight, an argument, and he was very good at it. He could, he could really dismantle these Christians very easily, he said. But he said this, this man turned to him and he said, you know what the world needs? Do you know what the problem is with the world? He said, we need to wash one another's feet. And he said that totally destroyed him. For one time, for the first time in his life, he could not say one word. 
He had nothing to say. And through that experience, that thing kept going over and over in his head because up till now, up till that point, he had been a person, this intellectual person who knew the answers to all the problems in the world. The, uh, the communist way of thinking, the Marxism and whatever was the answer. But this one man just he ended up tearing him apart. And he started thinking, and actually it was later on he was converted in a bookstore. Uh, it's, a, it's a long story, but it's an interesting, it's a very interesting testimony. But it's also a testimony of a person that's just running and running like we can be running, running away from our problems and our issues and not allowing God to actually teach us what he's trying to teach us. So we have to remember, we need to know that the Lord doesn't just break us and leave us. He helps us and heals us. He says in Psalms 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And we have to believe this. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And there's one verse, I know it has been overused, you could say, but Romans 8:28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, and those who are called and those who are the called according to his purpose. Sometimes we just have to grab hold of this verse. We have to believe it in faith. And we have to say, Lord, I don't understand why you're allowing me to go through this. And maybe I don't need to understand. Maybe what you are trying to teach me is just to trust you. To trust that this is for my good and benefit because I am a child that you love. Because if you're like me, we tend to suffer from nearsightedness when we go through difficulties. We tend to become, we tend to, to, to uh, sometimes fall into self-pity. And uh, we tend to look at our situation and just despair. And because we can't see the bigger picture. But this one brother just, he said, listen, brother, when you're going through these things, just, just say one thing to the Lord. It's just say, Lord, I trust you. And if it gets worse, if it gets darker, say it again. Lord, I trust you. That this is for my good and benefit because I am a child that you love. I know one day we'll understand it. We'll see it. And uh, but I think it's like Brother Richard said, it's a life of faith. When we face these, these, these things, sometimes, I mean, of course, all the time, we have to walk by faith. Because a lot of times the ones that come out on the other side have had time to see what God has been teaching them end up saying that they now have a greater sense of eternity and it would not have changed anything. I know that sounds crazy to some people, that you wouldn't have changed anything, but I've actually heard that from some people that have gone through very serious uh, situations, illnesses, whatever it is, they come out at the end saying they would not have changed anything about what the Lord had them go through. We have to remember who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And one other thing that is very comforting to know, or we have to remember that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. 
So God uses for his glory those people and things which are broken. They are the sacrifices in which he delights. It was through the breaking down of Jacob's natural strength at Peniel that he was brought to the place where God could clothe him with his strength. That was another one. Gideon and his army broke their pictures that the hidden light shone forth to the surprise and defeat of their enemies. It was the poor widow who broke the seal of the little pot of oil and poured it forth that God multiplied it to pay all her debts and to supply a means for her support. It was when Jesus took the five loaves and broke them that the bread was multiplied sufficient to feed 5,000 men and women. It was when Jesus allowed his precious body to be broken by the thorns, the nails, and the spear. Redemption poured forth like a crystal stream for the forgiveness of sins. Yes, the Lord indeed blesses broken things. And it begins by falling on the stone. Jesus himself said that he is the chief cornerstone. In Matthew 21, 44, it says, And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So there are two kinds of people in this life. Those who, when they face these times, fall on that stone. And it seems like God picks up those broken pieces and makes something beautiful out of them. Or those that just reject it and harden their hearts. And in the end, the stone falls on them. So we have a choice. Our testimony is evidence of God's faithfulness and his redeeming power. It helps believers and non-believers see physical evidence of what God can do in someone's life if they yield to the breaking process. It is the message of Christ made, made visible for all to see and believe that he has indeed come to set the captives free. Psalm 66, 16, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. So, as we look at our lives, do we see a pattern of brokenness to brokenness? Is our testimony evidence of God's faithfulness and redeeming power to believers and non-believers? Do they see us changing? Do they see us as do they see us, our humility and uh, our brokenness to the point where we stop relying on our own strength and our own wisdom more and more because that's the process of changing us into the character and image of Christ. Now I have to say that a lot of times the trials that we think we're facing sometimes I think they're of our own making and we, we attribute it we attribute them the wrong way they're simply it's like Brother Richard said like I shared here uh, when, when I first came up here that when we feel empty when we feel uh, alone or whatever a lot of times these times are because we are simply too lazy. We're simply content enough with where we're at and we don't want things to change. We just like the way things are. And those problems, those issues are, are because of our lukewarmness. We become discontent, distracted in what we see around us. I mean, we become enamored with the world the things it has to offer. That is not the brokenness I'm talking about, or the trials I'm talking about, not, not trials of our own making. But maybe God can even use that to just show us the condition of our hearts. So 
when we pray that prayer, I don't know if we've ever prayed it, Lord, break me. I think we have to be, we have to count the cost. Because I do believe God will take us serious. And he'll do what it takes. But just encourage us that God is with us through it all. It is, he's, he's, I picture him like we do with our own children. It hurts when we have to put them through things. Some lessons just, they have to learn by themselves. There's actually, I mean, have to learn some lessons the hard way. God also allows us to do that. A lot of us are more hard learners than others. But he's with us. And uh, if we call out to him, he will show us. So uh, thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. May God bless us and help us.